Welcome to Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. I'm film critic Gary Cogill, and today a couple of films well worth the price of a ticket. Now, one is a real-life turn-of-the-century adventure film. It's called The Lost City of Z, starring Charlie Hunnam and Robert Pattinson. And the other is a terrific documentary produced by celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain. It's called Jeremiah Tower, The Last Magnificent. And it's about the remarkable life and times of one of our country's most influential chefs. And I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Cogill. For this week's first feature, a wine with a cause as we float down the Amazon in Lost City of Z, with a wine called Wine to Water. And we'll toast one of America's greatest chefs with a few wines from winemaking rock stars like Lynn Pinnerash and Tony Rinders and Dave Ramey and Dennis Cakebread. We'll do that a little later in the show. But first, Gary, let's talk about this film. You loved Lost City of Z. I, I cannot get this film out of my head. In fact, I think it's the biggest surprise of 2017. Really? Like, I expected Beauty and the Beast to be yeah. good. That's, and it was great. That's a great film. Yes. But this is the film... That maybe two months ago, I started seeing images of trailers on TVs, commercials on TV. It played at our local film festival. And then when I actually saw the film, I kept looking at the images going, well, that, that looks really good. And I don't know much about this. And we're learning about Charlie Hunnam. Mm-hmm. We know about Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. from Twilight movies. Did he have his fangs? Oh, wait, we never actually saw his fangs. No, we, no <laughs> we didn't. And, and I'm going to tell you this about Robert Pattinson in the movie. I think it's the best film he's ever been in. Wow. I think it's the best acting he's ever been in. And I'm going to be honest, three-fourths of the way through the movie, that's when I started to figure out that's Robert was. Pattinson. Oh, wow. Because he's, he doesn't look anything like he's any character he's ever played. And he's got a big, heavy beard, and he's in the jungle, and he's, he's, he's Charlie Hunnam's sidekick. Mm-hmm. He's really the guy that they keep each other alive in this adventure. So back at the turn of the century, turn of the century from the 1900s and the 2000s, right. um, or I'm sorry, in the early 1900s, 1800s actually. Yes. Um, 1800s, yes. There, there was this guy named Percy Fawcett who was a, a British explorer, and he's married to, and Sienna Miller plays his very patient wife. And <laughs> Tom Holland plays his uh, teenage son, and hmm. Tom Holland is the new Spider-Man, mm-hmm. coming up in the new mm-hmm. Spider-Man movie. So you have a lot of star power in this, and he goes off, is sent by uh, the Brits. They send him along the Amazon jungle to kind of map the, the between Bolivia and Brazil because a civil war was starting down there, and they, they really needed some boundaries. And they the British stepped in to help do this. And along the way, he discovers an ancient civilization, artifacts and things, just on the surface, and he thought, oh, my God, nobody ever thought that down in South America, especially for a Brit at the time, and they were very racist at the time, that anybody on the planet had more of an advanced civilization than they did, other than maybe the Romans <laughs> or the Greeks. But nobody oh. in South America, and they called them savages. And how could, and he's going, no, I think this actually predates us. Yeah, yeah. And so they, they laughed at him and scoffed him. Uh, in real life, he made seven expeditions. Wow. And the last one, he took his son with him. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm going to tell you. But uh, in the movie, they condense it to three. And mm-hmm. boy, he was gone for a year. It took two years just to go down the Amazon. Right. And just h- half the people on his crew died. Mm-hmm. It was really tough to, stuff. I mean, my and goodness. P- think about it. It's, it's almost like when you, when you see astronauts today who want to go into space to mm-hmm. explore. I mean, that's really what it was. You 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 go into this completely unknown completely unknown. And you have to you have to to trust whatever it is you're going to find. And it's filled with people with 
poison darts. Right, right. And cannibals. And and what's interesting about Charlie Hunnam is is he had a graciousness to him, and he nice. he loved all these people. Mm-hmm. Even if they were about to kill him, he would smile at them and embrace them mm-hmm. because he really believed that their cultures had value where everybody around him in England did not. Right. And he stuck up for them, and it's just this kind of gracious, giving adventure. On the other side of that, he abused his family quite a bit by just being gone. Right. His children were never around their father, mm-hmm. and they loved their father, and, and the wife was very patient. In fact, not only was the society pretty much racist at the time, mm-hmm. but women weren't allowed to go in the jungle, too, because you probably couldn't handle that if you were a woman. And right. she really wanted to go and never went. And there's a real backstory there. That's I think that marriage is really interesting. But there's a loneliness and a sadness, a melancholiness to this film because— he was an absent father, but he was great. Yeah. So well, and I think you have to. I think we've seen that just through through stories, through many stories of history, and and certainly mm-hmm. through many films of of these kind of adventures of these explorers that have gone into to new worlds and 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 become part of of a brand new culture, and then inevitably somebody. <laughs> Somebody in charge comes in and kind of tries to ruin everything and drive out all the Native Americans. <laughs> yeah. And these stories are, I mean, they're, they're, it's not really about judging because all this stuff happened. Mm-hmm. And it seems fairly accurate, even though they've condensed, you know, seven excursions into three. But it's directed, you know, it's based on a book by David Gran, a popular, very popular 2009 book. But James Gray directed it. He did a film called We Own the Night. He did Little Odessa. He did The Immigrant a few years ago. And did Blood Ties with... Um, Clive Owen. Oh, okay. And and I remember Clive because we know Clive mm-hmm. talking about wanting to work with this director. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. Know, I don't. I didn't know a lot about James Gray. Uh, of all those films, I've seen most of them. Uh, this is on a whole other level. Wow. I think this is an Oscar level film. I've, it'll probably get lost. Right. It's only it's in six hundred theaters. It's not in three thousand. And it has already opened. How how has it done since it opened? It's done. Uh, it's done really well for six hundred theaters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's going to stick around in art houses for a while. Hopefully, it'll expand. Expand probably won't very much. But if you can find it. Find it because, right. and it's two hours and twenty minutes long too. Mm-hmm. But it's the real deal, and I I think this is good stuff. And how much do we love Sienna Miller? She's do, her career is just on fire. She was she was the wife in American Sniper. Mm-hmm. She was in Foxcatcher. Mm-hmm. She burnt. Was, she was in Burnt. Yeah. She. I think she's the best thing in Burnt. In burnt I yeah. agree. And she was in Live by Night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she was the the kind of first um his his first girlfriend. She's kind of a crazy in that film. She's kind of crazy. She's kind of crazy. And but kind of remains crazy. So I'm going to say this, this is the big bold statement. If you're a big Twilight Robert Pattinson fan, I'm so happy for you because you finally are seeing him in a absolutely wonderful splendid film and you won't even recognize you can be team Robert Pattinson. That's so good. You can be team Robert and Charlie in this one. Very nice. So, what are we going to pair? I don't know. I, th- th- this is a challenge. This is fun. I'm actually really excited to, p- to pair with this just because I always love to to find a wine with a good cause. There are so many wines out there that, that well, I think that you can buy a bottle of wine. You can buy any bottle of wine and just enjoy it. But if you can actually find a bottle of wine that does a little bit of good and gives mm. back in some way, then I just look at that as a very big win-win. Um, I'm going to preface that I haven't actually tried these wines, but I love their story and I want to. So okay. I will be because um, they are uh, available online. We'll have a link on our website as to how to find wine to water. Wine to water. And basically, it's it's the whole idea that... that that 
Jesus turned water into wine. And so if one of the you, miracles. Yeah. One of the miracles. And I and you know what a, a huge water supporter I am. And Dallas and Cortez has made it one of its big missions to give back to various water charities because I find it just so so horrible that that we take water for granted. And and without water you you really can't if you don't have clean water then your entire life is stifled. And and there are there are people and and villages all over this world that that walk miles and miles and miles a day just to get clean water. And when all they really need is a well, they need a well, or they need yeah. they need some sort of purification for their water. It's it's fascinating it to is. think that in the Amazon that it rains all the time that they don't have clean water, right. but it's because there's so much sewage in their water, and and so wine to water is actually made uh, the Amazon one of its kind of mission cities that they. They are are helping provide clean water to to people throughout the Amazon, and and their wines are are kind of your typical international varieties. You can get a Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Cab Merlot, you know, kind of what you would expect. Um, and then through proceeds from from the purchase of these wines, they manage these projects around the world. And it's it's just it's such an easy thing to do. And 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 we found that if you if you give if you give a village clean water, it will completely transform the lives of the people, and usually the women in those villages, because usually they're the ones that are going out to to find the water. Well, also just for medical reasons and giving birth. Absolutely, you have to have clean water. You have to, and that's there's so much infant death in these in these places around the world that don't have access to clean water. Well, and if you if you think about it, you can you know a person can live for a, a long time without food. You can't live without water. It's just you. You just can't live without clean water, and so bravo to these guys for 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 believing in their in their cause and for doing good work and and for for as I said, it's kind of a win win. Yeah. You can have a you can have a good glass of wine and then give back. Well, and I'm going to make this big bold statement. We have a federal government now that seems to be pulling away from any kind of restrictions on taking care of the environment. And you look at the Amazon rainforest, that produces 20% of the world's oxygen right? because trees produce oxygen. And we know this when we go to the Oregon Mountains and we go to the Washington Mountains. But you go anywhere in the world that has forests and there's something about breathing that air. It is. But when you start whacking away and cutting it all down and not replacing it yeah, and not taking it. care of it, right? yeah, I, I, I just find that amazing. I. Even the Amazon River, you know, as as you know, three thousand different species of fish. You know, you just can't whack away at all this stuff. Right. And uh, like we're, you know, I, I, it's a little bit of a soapbox, but I, I I find this fascinating. I love the idea that they're doing this, mm-hmm. and and that it goes to a good cause, and you can have a good a glass of wine, glass, exactly. And you're tying in the Amazon to a guy. <laughs> I mean, that the river's forty three hundred miles long. Absolutely. So you. Uh, when when Percy Fawcett went down with his buddy who looks like Robert Pattinson, <laughs> they didn't have a motor. Right. You know, they're on canoes and they're on makeshift rafts and next thing you know they're they're getting attacked on the on either on side, either of, the side river. of the river. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the journey down in apocalypse now. Mm-hmm. But but and and yet how do you communicate? You know, like Amy Adams did in in arrival, they've got to communicate through a language, the brand new, and they brand try new. through kindness. That's mm-hmm. what I. So you have a sense of giving here, and you also have a sense 
of giving in the With film. With Percy Fawcett of giving it. there. Isn't that I love cool? It. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, again, Wine to Water, we'll have a link to their website via our website, but I think it's a really, really easy way to, to give back. What are we going to talk about next, Gary? Well, when we come back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, a fascinating new documentary that we've both seen. It's about the chef at Chez Panisse and Star's Restaurant, I think that was in San Francisco, mm-hmm. who dropped out unexpectedly and is now back thanks to another famous chef, Anthony Bourdain, and we will be right back. And we're back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. Uh, Haley and I recently saw a film together that we can't wait to tell you about. And, and it's a documentary, and it's called Jeremiah Tower, the Last Magnificent, and the more I think about the title, the more I like that title, because I didn't really know anything about Jeremiah Tower. So I walked into this knowing a little bit, quite a bit about Chez Panisse mm-hmm. and the restaurant in Alice Waters, because you've been talking about Alice Waters. Yeah, we're big fans. We've had, we've had, we had lunch there. We haven't had a chance to have dinner there. But, but it's one of the great dining there. experiences we've ever had. Absolutely. Even though it was lunch. Yeah, it was fantastic. And I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a complete geek on her. I think that she's, she is... Uh, uh, she transformed American cuisine, and and in addition to that, uh, farmed a table cooking, yeah. and and has create you know helped create the edible schoolyard and and a way to give back, and and you've got to teach kids how to how to grow their own vegetables. I mean, I'm I am a I'm an Alice Waters fan, but the kind of beauty of of this, and obviously kind of a lot of the backstory and her story is that she was just kind of a, she just kind of was a cook. She never really... She was a cook and a hippie. Yeah, never wanted to be a chef, but she hired Jeremiah Tower to to basically come in and and be the chef at, at Chez Panisse shortly after she opened. And and he 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 made it really into the show place and the gave it the the real credit and credibility that that I think it's it's yeah. had now for so many years. So what I didn't know about Jeremiah Tower is his childhood, and there's yes. a lot of photos and a lot of home videos. Mm-hmm. He grew up and uh, a lot of recreations. The recreations yeah. in in this documentary are done very 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 well. well. In fact, I, I think it's a really well made film. Um, so he's a kid, and he's growing up around very wealthy parents who ignored him. In fact, he had really lousy parents. But they would go off on cruises on the Queen Mary. They would stay at fancy hotels for, and live for three months. For months, yes. They'd give him his own suite. He's six years old. <laughs> and then say, see ya. Hmm. You know? and, he, and he would learn the run of the hotel, how Absolutely. to go into the kitchen. And he started learning menus and started ordering and, and living around food because he was so bored. Yeah. Well, and I think he was lonely. He and he was lonely. It. But I loved that the, he found, I mean, his storybooks were menus. Reading how menus were prepared and, and, and reading how, and learning how ingredients went together. And this especially, because mm-hmm. it was, they were in Europe for, they would summer in Europe every year and, and spend, and spend extensive amount of times in great restaurants and, and beautiful hotels throughout France. And, and if you're going to learn classic, classic cuisine, mm-hmm. that's it. But he didn't learn through a school. Not at all. He learned by ordering food he and watching He learned through it. his palate. That's what's just so fantastic. Yeah, so he had, an, he had just an innate ability. Mm-hmm. He had a built-in talent uh, that most people do not have. And he was not afraid of food. 
And so when he when he gets hired as the chef at Chez Panisse, he's not a trained chef at all, yeah. and turns it all around. And then all of a sudden, that place just blows up. And then he has a big falling. I don't want to get too far into it, but he has a big falling out with Alice Waters, yeah. and uh, and also came to terms with his own sexuality mm-hmm. in the film. And 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 then all of a sudden, you know, he goes off and starts another restaurant mm-hmm. called Stars. It's called Stars, which became very famous. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot about Stars because I didn't know that much. And and then dropped out. Yeah. Just dropped out. Dropped out and then has a, a, a reemergence, which is not too many years ago, back in 14 and 15 in New York. But, wow, he's he, when you look at all these famous chefs and culinary people talk about him, he's the guy. Yeah. And he's the guy. And he, they, they go, you might not know who he is, but we know who he is. Yeah. And he's the guy. And, and he's here. And there's a real sense of sadness and loneliness about him. Mm-hmm. But also a true sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to work for that guy, you're going to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. But you better He's a perfectionist. Fall. He's a perfectionist like a lot of these people are. I think he actually there's there's one line and it does kind of speak to to his I think the soul of who he is, and that is that he he was always striving for perfection to to gain acceptance, and mainly yeah. because he was neglected so much as a child, and 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 the the constant the constant need to be perfect is has is something that he's had his entire life, yeah. and and with that though comes incredible. The standards are set so high that. That it's very, very, very hard to attain and and then maintain, or and, even if at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you may never re- reach that. Uh, the name of the documentary is Jeremiah Tower: The Last Magnificent. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? What's the last magnificent mean to you? Well, I just see flair. I think magnificent, and he he had such flair. I mean, he had a restaurant called Stars, and he had stars all over everything. <laughs> and I, I mean, I knew he was it. kind of the first rock celebrity. I think that he he did come out of the kitchen. He was very he was one of the first chefs to actually come out of the kitchen. And if he did come out of the kitchen, because he also worked the line of his restaurant every mm-hmm. night. Yeah, he did. But if he came out of his kitchen, he was always impeccable. He he was his, a dandy. He he. I think he wanted yes. I think he wanted to be a dandy. I don't know if if he. I think he wanted to have that showmanship. But his his chef's coat was always pressed, always yes. white, always perfect. He might have, you know, he might have been drenched in sweat and 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 you know, smell like cooking oils. Something yeah. <laughs> right before, but if he was going to be seen in a crowd, he was always perfect, impeccable, with a glass of champagne with a in his glass hand, of bubbly in his hand of good champagne of great champagne and and. And he was a showman. He wanted to be the 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 center. He wanted to be the flair. He wanted to be the magnificent, well, almost Matt, like the, a ringleader in a circus. Yeah, it's very. That's yeah, a good analogy. I think he, he was before anyone else. What a lot of chefs are now. Absolutely, is they build up a they build up a clientele. They build up a profession. They're very good at what they do, but they spend a lot of time in the front of the house as well as the back. Well, of the house. and that's I think one of the biggest difference, though, is a lot of the a lot of a lot of the celebrity chefs today don't spend a lot of time on the line. No, I mean, they are no. they are they have become front of the house people. Yeah, which is I think that's something very admirable, and I think we saw that in kind of the latter part of this documentary, as Jeremiah Tower does have his reemergence in 2014, and he is on that line cooking, and he is expecting perfection from every single chef around him, and I. I think that 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 it was very hard to to reach that one because of where he he chose to to have this reemergence, as well as just a, a different time. Yeah. I mean, I think that 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 being that that being in 
the, being a cook in a kitchen is one of the hardest jobs that you can ever do. I think working in a restaurant is is the hospitality industry is is very very difficult, and we certainly don't give people in the industry enough credit. And I've been around it my entire life. You have to be you you have to be in and you have to be on, and 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 that's hard for a lot of a lot of just you know kind of young chefs coming yeah. up today. There's a lot so of burnout. A lot of, yeah, a lot of cooks coming up. But today. he had a glass of champagne in his hand. Always, and he celebrated. Always. The I'm, one thing about yeah. the documentary I, I wanted more of was more food. There was we, a lot of talk. I wish that there was a little bit more. I wanted to see him cooking more. I wanted to see his artistry more. Yeah. We heard a lot about it, and we certainly saw some some lovely recreations. We saw some of his finished dishes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, but we I didn't wanted to see more of that. Yeah, yeah. That that was the takeaway. Mm-hmm. More food, less talk, but it's really good. Oh, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, though. it's really beautiful film. I thought it was really, really, really nicely done, and that that um, that'll open this Friday, which will be exciting. But, yeah. Um, speaking of stars, we've, stars. Had, we've had a few starry days recently um, with our own Dallas uh, celebrity chefs. Yes, we uh, have. We attended the Coast Decor Celebrity Chef uh, Dinner and International Wine Auction the other night, and then we had kind of a, a day of I'm gonna I'm just gonna say Oregon royalty. Yes. Um, Eugenia Keegan, Tony Reinders. Lynn Pinner Ash, a handful, these incredible Oregon winemakers were in, in Dallas not too long ago, and we got to spend um, a little bit of time one evening and then uh, an afternoon with them. And I am such, I'm such, <laughs> I'm such a wine geek. You know, you can put me in front of a celebrity, like a, a movie star, and I'll, right. of course, be be excited and gracious. I get around these winemakers, and I, like, I can't speak. Do yeah, everyone want to say something stupid? I do. Good. Because we've all been there. Yeah, well, because I we just, I, I, it's, that's my thing. And I'm so appreciative of their artistry that, that it was, it was pretty remarkable. Well, so. listening to Lynn Penner Ash and Eugenia Keegan both talk about wine, because some people are really good at what they do, but they're not articulate about how they do this. Right. And they are. Right. They're off the chart. Yes. On being able to articulate really the intricacies of what it is to actually do what they do. Well, and so just a little a little backstory. So Eugenia Keegan, we've actually um, talked about her a few times mm-hmm. on the show. She is the winemaker for Grand Moraine up in Willamette Valley, um, Has uh, was raised in Sonoma, has also her brand Keegan, has has uh, vineyards in France. Has she, She's one of the most accomplished women. Um, another saucy redhead that, I, that I've met. I absolutely adore her. She's also the sweetheart of our dear friend David Adelsheim. And then Lynn Pinnerash, her she and her husband started Pinnerash Winery in Willamette Valley that were recently purchased by Jackson Family Wines. And that's kind of why these folks were here. Grand Moraine is also one of Jackson Family's uh, properties. Tony Reinders is now the consulting winemaker for their new project called Xena Crown. Um, up in Willamette. That's high-end Pinots. It's incredible Pinots. But Tony was a winemaker for Domaine Serene, Mm -hmm. um, has uh, been a consultant for many years, makes Saffron Fields, has his labels. Um, It was kind of this this fantastic um, opportunity to taste through the properties now that that Jackson Family owns up in Oregon, which also includes La Crema, um, Willa Kinsey, Siduri. So it was a great panel discussion that we had, but we got a little time with them the night before, which was just so fun because it's it's amazing to be able to to hear the the backstories of why people do what they do. And I I adore Lynn. I think the fact that she could sit there because she did um, start Pinterest with her husband and 
and just that whole conversation of especially of, of coming up as a woman in this the wine mm-hmm. industry, which has always been hard, and how she'd be sitting there, and she's she's winemaker. She she's she's as much she is she trained at UC Davis. She the woman knows her stuff. She's worked. She 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 is a very accomplished um, woman in wine. And is she a dirt eater? I think that she's probably licked some rocks. Rock I think that, licker. I think, that, I think that there there's some always some good rock. Are we going all on. if we really get down if to we this? Love, if we love some good wine, yeah, yes. we do. Because this. I want it to taste like the vineyard. Well, I loved watching you talk with all of them, and then I was a little geeked out, but um, had some really interesting conversations, was, you know, talking about Willa Kenzie. Absolutely. And what's really interesting is winemakers often drink so much of their wine, what they really want is a cocktail or a beer. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. At the and we the, want to drink their wine all the no, time. No, I just wanted to just yeah. to try what. So it was, it was awesome. It was very so cool. wonderful, and and the wines. That's the other side of it. I'm, I, I'm very excited. You know, Jackson family hasn't been up in the, the region that long, and I know when they did kind of get into Oregon and into Willamette Valley, there there was a lot of speculation on what are they going to do. They really have taken a hands off approach. They have allowed these winemakers to to shine in their their own light. They you know Eugenia runs her winery Lynn is still consulting a winemaker for Pinarash um, they want them to be great they want them to be great and they want them to and have the freedom to, yeah. to to really create and 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 be what be the great wineries that that we have kind of known to love just yeah. under this umbrella so Julia Jackson was also here and it was great to hear her talk about her father and and how Jess Jackson who passed away several years ago um, kind of what his vision was and and now today with them moving into to Oregon with her mother Barbara Banky at the at the helm to to see the ability to create great wines because of just the natural terroir of of Willamette Valley that it is mountainsides it is hillsides it's benches it's ridges and that was kind of Jess Jackson's whole story he and is they're a interested in the man. environment and taking care of it and while they do their work exactly which we have fascinating to. so it was great and we had a big week yeah so the other side of it was. Cote de Cour, which is one of my favorite charity events that that we that that happens in Dallas every year. My eyes light up when I walk into that room and, at Cote de Cour. It's a thousand people I, in plus, a ballroom plus, I, yes, and some of the best wine in the world, and great food, and great chefs. And they do so. But this is um, the the largest fundraiser for the American Heart Association mm-hmm. is actually um, Cote de Cour, which is put on by the Dallas Division of the the Heart, American Heart Association. It's been around for 25 years. They've raised over $30 million for cardiovascular research and education during that time. Um, and and there are a lot of charity events that you can go to in Dallas. The nice thing, there are a lot of charity events you can go to anywhere, but the nice thing that I've always found by this event is that it's an incredible group of chefs led every year by Richard Chamberlain, who owns Chamberlain's Shop House and Fish House, and he's a fantastic gentleman, brings yeah. together a lot of his he's buddies. Like and our own, you know, kind of celebrity chefs like Dean Fearing, like Jim Severson, like Dave Holdland, like Jim or John Tezar. Um, Matt McAllister, some some really great um, Chad Hauser from Cafe Momentum, really great chefs, local chefs here. Um, 
but then the caliber of wine that's poured because yes. usually like you might have good food at a charity event but the wine might be a little suspect like like what's that house pour actually going to be the wine yeah with over a thousand people in a ballroom that's a lot of that's wine that's a lot of wine but man this wine was good yeah, they all come through the wine the wine was incredible they, they, we had a gorgeous chardonnay from Dave Ramey Eller's Estate Cabernet um, a new a new wine from Dennis Cakebread, his um, Mullen Road, yeah, uh, which is actually stuff. from Washington, which is a very fun new wine hall. Uh, Justin, I was pouring their isosceles, their high end blend. It's it was a really you know the, like a <laughs> this is the kind of wine I yeah. want to drink every night, not just at a, a charity event. And then they raised great money for yeah. for great it, for it, a really great cause. Yeah, I, I think those are some of the happiest people in a ballroom. Yeah. And and by the end of the night, it's really good to Uber. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's we, really we good always to recommend. Uber after Cote de Cour. <laughs> and anything like and that. These, and these great chefs and doing good stuff. It was it was yeah. a, it was a special night. It was great to see you know kind of and and thought that just the presentation of everything was was so beautiful. It, they moved it from uh, uh, used to be held at a different venue for for many years, and they moved it to the Omni this year, and just, I thought the layout of it was lovely. Just beautiful, and this big red room. Yeah. And the live auction's great, because there's some, I mean, there's trips to Paris, and there's trips all over the world, and lots of bottles of wine, and all kinds of things, but they served a lot of meat, and they usually do at these things. It's a meaty event. But there was one fish dish that knocked me out and knocked you out. It was my favorite bite of the night. It came from Gemma, Gemma Restaurant um, on Henderson. Hasn't actually been in Dallas very long, but since it's been here, I'm going to say they're they're making they're making headway because yes. of and I and I see why because of this great, a great dish like this, which was baramudi with a green curry sauce and lotus fruit that just add a little crunch, and then because they're co-owner is a sommelier. They brought in this, like, ice cold, which was one of the, the, the coldest wines of the night, which I was looking for, a nice chilled wine um, Riesling that was just such an ideal pairing. It just kind of shows you what great chefs working with great wine can do. Yeah, barramundi being a fish. Is a fish, sorry. Not a fowl. <laughs> Not a fowl. Don't shoot the barramundi, catch it. <laughs> It was a great night. I thought, yeah, yeah it was. I love being there and, and appreciate we we got to go as as the guests. Hey, this is fun. We've had really really good wine this week and really good film experiences. Yeah, all good stuff. Next week on Wine and Film: A Perfect Pairing, the summer movie season gets off to a rousing start with a long anticipated sequel, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume <laughs> Two, starring Chris Pratt. Uh, the original, by the way, was a runaway freight train taking in just under eight hundred million dollars worldwide in 2014 and when a movie makes 800 million the sequel is on the way wow so it'll be here next week that's incredible and we'll also toast dry creek gary and i are heading out there actually this weekend for the passport to dry creek and sonoma so we'll have a little bit more on on that adventure but for now any additional details on the wines or films we talked about today please check out our blog on cogillconsulting.com or through facebook be sure to follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill and see what we're drinking now. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncork. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill. And as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.